Um, I think in today's time, all we're doing is just stuffing our faces, um, snacking too much. Uh, I think if you have a more uh, stable glucose level in your in your system, it's more healthy. And just snacking is, you know, all these spikes is not very good. So intermittent fasting really, um, that's it, it. Really helps with your um, steady uh, blood glucose. Um, you know, you should give your stomach a rest. It's just mm-hmm. like every other thing in your body. You know, we have rest days. So I don't understand why um, we don't do. You know, even 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 a twelve-hour fast is good. Um, if you're having a late-night snacking in the morning, you know, it's, I, I, I forgot what it is, but like six to eight hours, your stomach needs a to do a full cleanse. And if you you know if you have a midnight snack and eating at seven, you're not giving that time. Um, and intermittent fasting is actually. Um, easier to lose weight than actually calorie deficient uh mm-hmm. calorie deficit so like if you have like uh if you, if you do a calorie deficit diet um and we know this doesn't work everyone does it no one not no one loses weight from it um and the, and the reason is your body is very clever it knows you know i'm getting 1500 calories a day so i'm going to drop my metabolism metabolic rate to 1500 and then if you start at 2,000, you've gone to 1,500 and your metabolic rate's gone down to 1,500 and you're not losing weight, then you're like, okay, and you feel terrible. Then you start, yeah. okay, I'll eat 1,700 because it's still less than 2,000. But, but you don't know that your metabolic rate's gone to 1,500. So you're actually eating 200 calories more than your metabolic rate than you're actually putting weight on. And because you're feeding so often, you have all these insulin spikes and, and, you know, you don't have access to body fat. So, you know, you feel terrible. Where if you intermittent fast and you still just keep, just because from what I've read, weight loss is more of a hormone problem, not hormone balance, not problem, but more, more hormones. Because, you know, you cannot say, you know, 100 calories of oil has the exact same effect as 100 calories of white bread. It's a totally different reaction on the body. So if you do time restriction or... Um, intermittent fasting where you actually consume nothing for 12 hours that's 12 hours your body is forced to break down fat it's actually really forced to break down fat and when you do eat um you know there's a very uh less chance you're going to overeat in that small window also um i would prefer to do 16-8 i think that's much better um and once you get used to it um, you know, and like a, an OMAD, which is one meal a day, um, is uh, I, to me, you save so much time um, and you just feel better. You feel lighter. You know, you're not lethargic. Your stomach's not full, always working. Um, and I think just from doing a few grand tours, you just see how much stress we put on our stomachs. Like that goes to the extreme, you know, when you were just eating always when you're racing. And then you're sort of like, this is not healthy. And then you look at what we do at home. We just do it just less amount of food, but we're always eating. So I think it's good just to give your body a rest and give your gut a bit of a clean. And Yeah, that's awesome. I guess my last question on Ben, you start off, you are pro-carb, because I know some people will hear this and be like, oh, Adam Hansen, he's fasting all the time and he's into fat burning, but you are pro-carb. So you're still getting those carbs in before hard sessions, maybe not for the long, easy sessions, but people do need to eat carbs if they want to go fast on a bicycle. Is that correct? 100%. Okay. Thank you. Woo! I was like, he's going to break down everything I believe in today. This is like <laughs> horrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, 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 I've been, um, I, I've had a few people are like, nah, it's, you know, fat, you can get so much energy from fat. It's true. You can get a lot of energy from fat, but 
you know, you're limited on the flow of fat, of fat being an energy source where carb is right there. Um, I believe so much in fat metabolism training and um, uh, this type of fasting that because the importance of glycogen as an energy, you want – when you – I can be the – I can be the best sprinter in the world after a 200-kilometer race if he has zero glycogen in stores and I still have, you know, 20 or 30%. It, like when you are absolutely glycogen depleted, yeah. you cannot beat anyone in sprint. So the whole idea is improve your fat metabolism to save those carbs for the final because that's what you see. If, if everyone, if all the sprinters, like you see in 100-meter sprint races on the track, the fastest guy wins every single time. He's, he has all the energy that he needs and he does it every single time. In cycling, sprinters don't always win every single time. It's not always the fastest guy. Yes, there's tactics, lead outs, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, there's no reason why a sprinter can't win Milan and Remo because it's all to do with how much energy they have at the end of the race. You know, some stages are really hard and it's all about saving energy and um, storing, um, <clears throat> keeping the glycogen stores as long as possible so you can actually use that in the race where it's important. And that's why I really believe in fat metabolism as training because you just want, you need the sugar. Sugar is so important. And when you do efforts, have high carb because you've got to train how much carbs your body can absorb per hour. And mm-hmm. then you can do your maximum numbers on your interval days. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm full pro carb. That's awesome. That, yeah, it's really good. The, you also make a really good point too. I was, you know, when you're talking about sprinters, there are guys that will see, you know, everybody loves in WKL, like the Watts per KG chart. And like, I've got a killer sprint, but like, I just can't seem to win. I'm like, well, cause you're not getting yourself to the end of the race with the ability to unleash the sprint. Like you're getting dropped because of aerobic stuff and the race is three hours. It's not like you're going to do this one-off effort. So it's like a similar kind of analogy in my head of thinking that's the nutrition side of the power side of like, you got to get to the point of the race to where you can be really good at what you're good at. If that yeah, comes exactly. out the right way. What's yeah. the, um, so, you know, people talk about, you do these grand tours, you see these physiological changes in your body. You come out this different rider. Did you ever start noticing that just like, man, and maybe that's why you started, started thinking like I can start banging these out more and more. Is it just, you kind of alluded to this fat metabolism what were you seeing as a rider? Like, you know, you're also doing these at such a young age. I think maybe 21 or 22 was your first one. You know, how did that affect your trajectory as an athlete, do you think? Um, I, actually, I actually started at not such a young age. Um, but I, I found the more I did, the easier it got. But also mentally, um, to me, I know that, I always have in my head, no matter what happens, you'll be sleeping in your hotel bed tonight. If it's a bad day, good day. If you get dropped, if if you can, if you if you cannot eat that day because of something you uh, ate at the hotel that was bad. Um, so for me, just mentally, it was like you always finish. You, you just, it was it would be really hard not to make time limit. Um, okay, on some of the mountain stages, it's, it can be it can be quite easy. <laughs> But um, I wasn't so bad of a climber. Um, but mentally, it was um, definitely, I think, uh, what really helped me the most. I, like, I really believe that you could just grant to it any form, and I'll just build up that form as the race goes on. Um, and, and, you know, you can use, you know, there's tactics where you can hide easier in the bunch and, you know, mm-hmm. don't do stupid things and move up on the bunch when the hill starts and slowly drift off to the back of the bunch over the top of the hills. So, you know, you can save, you can save 60 watts up on, on the climb doing something like that. 
Um, but yeah, definitely the more Grand Tours I did, it improved me as a rider. Um, and it just, yeah, I think, you know, racing is, racing, I don't believe is the best form of training, but a Grand Tour stages, you can make it in a good way for training. In a sense where you can say, you know, I just go in the last group today, or I, I want to go in the first group just to improve a bit better. So you can, you can modify the race to make it go your way. Would you say the best type of training for the non-savage riders that are not Adam Hansen, like a, a well-rounded, we kind of talked about this before though, but like a well-rounded, try to hit all the energy systems, see what your race demands of you. Just to try and boil this all down to one thing, you, you've hit on a lot of different points. Um, get a little bit of everything and maybe in some progressive form or what's your kind of like, a, if you had to spit something out, what's like a big overarching theme of training that... It's a hard question because everybody's individualized. Uh, but. What would work for anyone? I, I really believe um, uh, everyone should do sprint training regardless. So Why is go that? out because um, <laughs> my coach, when he was explaining to me, you're going to give some sprint training. I was like, well, I'm not a sprinter. He was like, yeah, but if you come to a race in a breakaway with one other guy, how are you going to beat him? Right. And it's true. You always sprint. You always sprint. And the maximum your sprint is the easier everything underneath is. So if you do an attack in a race, and it can mm-hmm. be any level, if you do an attack and it's at your maximum, that's going to hurt you. But mm-hmm. if you improve your maximum, and so let's say your maximum is 1,000 watts um, in a sprint, and you're doing attacks at 1,000 watts, you're doing maximum effort every single time you're following moves or doing attacks. And if you can improve your sprint from 1,000 to 1,100, and then you're doing attacks at 1,000, it's actually like um, 11% less effort. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that'll add up over time because you do a lot of attacks. And when you're doing sprint training, this is for anyone, do eight seconds, maximum effort, three minutes rest. Don't do more than eight seconds because you produce lactic acid. And if you do that, your next one's not going to be good. If you just keep it short, just explosive power, then you can do five of them in a row. So eight seconds, three minutes, eight seconds, three minutes. Everyone can be max effort. And that's what you're training, explosive power. You're not training an energy system. You're not training a lactic acid. You just want explosive power. So everyone can do something like that. So do that on the first day of your set. So you're always fresh, maximum power. After that, do some type of intervals of high heart rate. Um, can be 40 20s, um, where you go 40 seconds on, 20 seconds easy, 40 seconds on, and just do five to 10 minutes of them. When you're looking at a training file, you should see your heart rate go like this. If it's plateau, it's too hard. You have to see some type of, if you see too much recovery, and then you can up the power. So you can really judge it. And that's based on how good your, your recovery is. If you're just flatlining, if your heart rate's just flatlining, then you're not recovering. So you gotta you got to have little tweaks. So the session um, overall would be just too hard if it's going in that yeah. upwards. Okay. If you're doing 40-20s and your, and your heart rate's just always climbing or just stable, then the 40 seconds too hard. Just drop the 40-second power a little. And you should – what will happen is your power will go up and your heart rate will be – slightly delayed then your power drop and then your heart rate will still go up and then slowly go down and then it'll cross or start to sorry it'll start to cross um but you got to have you got to see that and the faster your heart rate goes down the better your recovery is this is really good because in a race um you know there's guys that are going to be surging you're going to surge with them heart rate goes up and then you could tempo or it's you know it's on the limit and then you've got to recover a little another surge happens and you go with that surge or a mountain you know in all races even gravel races 
if it's a little incline or the tearing gets more difficult, you're, it's going to be harder effort. So these are this is this is something you want to train also. And I, I really believe strength training. You should everyone should do this in some form. So lower cadence, not too low. I think people go a bit overboard when they're doing like forty-five cadence or fifty cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I've, I, it took me years to work out that I actually have do really good strength training at sixty-five cadence at higher power instead of forty-five at lower power same talk but i just feel like i just it's not good for my knees it's, it never really happens in a race um and then when you do your long rides do them super constant it can be super easy but it can be constant so this means if you stop at a traffic light and you start again don't sprint don't don't mm-hmm. don't tap into a different energy system if you come to a climb it's what I find is when I do long rides, I like to do it by myself because if you come to it, because people get annoyed, people really get annoyed because I like to run. If I say, okay, 230 watts, I'm on the flat, come to a climb and they do like 400, even if it's for 10 seconds, you know, different mm-hmm. energy system, it's going to take 20 minutes before you tap back into your fat metabolism. And when you go like 230 or 240 up the climb, it's super slow. So, so the riders get annoyed because they're like, hey, where are you going so slow? But when you get to the top and you hold that power, they're like, hey, why are you going fast now? It's like, I'm actually doing the same pace the whole way. And that's what you should be doing. So, you know, and also when you go downhill, try and hit the two, 230, mm-hmm. 240 watts, whatever, whatever your power is. And, you know, if it's a three-hour ride, three-hour, four-hour, four-hour, just do what you can. And I really believe if you, if you just tick every box. I love that, dude. Wrong. I love it. That's because I have some people that were like, what's your methodology when they like ask about coaching and stuff? And so I started putting things together and I've become this like – people will give me hashtag no coast. Cause I'll tell people if you, if you don't live in like a mountainous area, if you go for a long ride, try and keep your zone one time less than 10%. Don't be coasting. Don't be dilly dallying, but don't be going into zone four. So I'm like, well, I got a hill. I'm like, dude, you have 21 gears or how many gears on your like shift the bike. So I want to ask you about this sprint thing. So this is really interesting. I've been trying to get my head around some of this in terms of, you know, W do you use WKO at all? Uh, no. So they call FRC, like your anaerobic capacity or, or watt prime from Golden Cheetah. The eight second, you made the comment of not going too much longer because then you're creating the lactic acid. And what I was gathering from some different webinars and other coaches and blogs and blah, 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 is that when, you know, we're twisting these dials, you can try to make yourself too anaerobic and therefore it might push your FTP down because if you undergo glycolysis more often, then you're going to create more of those hydrogen ions, which is going to create more of the burn and you're going to fatigue sooner. Is that why you keep it at eight seconds? So you're hitting it, but you're not elongating this like massive anaerobic burn and, and turning yourself into like this anaerobic rider. Um, yeah. I, th- I feel, I feel you can do other intervals to train that. Okay. And with explosive power, it's just training the muscle, just extraining the, 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 the nerve signals from, you know, like you're in the race and someone goes and you got to react really fast. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this type of training. It's muscles at maximum load. Um, so, you know, 25 kilometers an hour speed, 75 cadence, or maybe 20 kilometers, it's, it's, it's 70 cadence, where mm-hmm. it's, it's not, you're not starting 110 cadence. You got to, you got to have that wind up. Um, right. it's the, yeah. So explosivity, um, for your, your to fire your neurons. So, you, um, the muscles react faster and the, I think the most important is to learn your gears because so many riders fail at this where they do no sprint training they come towards the end of the race and you know it can be a group of 
15 guys and you're racing for 10th and they're like, nah, is it too hard gear? Like you really, when you do this type of training, you really learn your gear as well. And you learn how to change gears through a sprint also. Because a lot of amateur riders and even pro riders struggle with this, where, you know, there's a certain part in the pedal stroke where you can really hit the gear and smash it through and you, you can have a real clear um, power line. So, yeah, it's it's more explosivity that these eight seconds is. And, you know, if you if you want to train the lactic side, it's more... Yeah, you can't do everything. I believe right. if you, in every form of training, you should do everything 100%. So if you do sprint training, 100%. Fat burning, 100%. Intervals, 100%. Rest day, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Don't, don't try and do a three-hour easy rest day. This is this is not a rest day. And then expect to do good sprints the day after. Man, I got some dudes trying to go on rest day and go in and lift heavy deadlift squats. I'm like, bro, this is rest day. And they're like, but I'm not biking. I'm like, dude, you're tapping into like, in, you're shredding. That is a hard at. No, don't do that, please. Yeah. Dude, and super smart dude, obviously. People are probably like, dude, this guy's, you're just a unique person. And then we've got the whole engineer side, the shoe side. I, I don't want to take up, I don't want to take up all your time. So people can watch Google videos of Adam talking about why he built his own shoes and stuff and really, you just started tinkering with things, but like, have you always been playing and toying with stuff and kind of where, where are things going for you with Hansino, the shoe and bike company? And then you have, I don't know, do you own part of Leomo or you're into Leomo or can you give us some, some story on all that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I work for Leomo, huge, okay. huge fan of Leomo. Um, to me, Limo is the new is the is the new gear as like the power meters when they first came out. People didn't like them; too confusing. The power went up and down; it was too complicated. Um, Limo really shows um, how to train properly. So, if, if if I was to give a rider a session, say, okay, go out and do 400 watts at 50 cadence, right, for five minutes, super hard session, right? I see the power file. I go, okay, he did five minutes. He did it all good. With the Lima file, I can see where he was like, he struggled, where he started to move around, where his hips started to move. If, if he had, um, if he has a weakness on the left or right leg and um, if it's on the top of the stroke, if it's um, the soleus muscle, if it's further down, if it's which mu- other muscle in the calf area. And when the calf, when you, so when you have ankling, right? So when you sort of pedal and you, the power's too much, and you sort of have this effect, mm-hmm. then your leg angle range moves more, and you can see all this in a limo file. So you can, so in a limo file, you can really see what the athlete does. And when you're doing this, also, you can actually see, okay, that power's way too hard. He did, but well, you can see the body's moving too much, and you can lower the torque training. So if you're doing um, SFR training or some type of uh, torque training, you can really say, okay, the 400 is too much. Um, let's try 350. So you hold really optimal form, and. Because if you don't have the motion, you just think, yeah, he, he hit the numbers, he did, and that's it. But, you know, he could be like, he could cause injury or maybe, yeah. So with the limo, there's no fighting. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's Now with Zwift being so popular, I'll look through intervals and I've actually started checking cadence way more because I'm like, this person is at 50 RPMs. Like, they're clearly just like, blah. I'm like, that was, <laughs> we're, we're not doing this right. <laughs> uh, and also like, um, now you really see everything. And, you know, when you do like 40-20s, when a coach would give 40-20s to uh, our uh, back in team mobile days, they'd be like, you must do it seated. Where riders would cheat a little. They would stand up, do the first, you know, 10 seconds, accelerate, get the 
power up nicely. When the power starts to plateau, then they sit down. And it's only like a 28-second effort because you're just using your body weight to get the power up. Mm. With the Lima file, you can see, okay, he was standing up at that period there. You see everything. So it's yeah. really, in this sense, it's really good. And you can really, let's say, alter your training based on how you ride, not not just on the power figures. Because you want to get those power figures in the optimal form. Um, so this is why I'm a huge fan of Limo, and yeah, I do a lot of the research and development there um, in the company. With the Hansino, yeah, I make the shoes. Um, I, I do it for some riders. I don't like doing it. There's no money in it. It's a lot of time. I love it, but it's just a lot of time. Um, and for me, I, I prefer more trying to improve them for myself. Um, so I'm making a, a, like a triathlon shoe at the moment where the heel comes out so you can put your foot in on the bike and it's going to be a seamless shoe. So it's going to be like, um, cause at the moment I have the flap going on the inside and then you have the, um, the lacing on the inside of the shoe and I want to have everything internal. And, um, so I'm working on a new, so I have more fun with this than trying to, um, uh, sell it to other people. I'm doing custom handlebars at the moment, uh, especially for triathletes because I find that, um, it's just terrible what's on the market in the sense if you buy a bike that what you can do with the current systems is um, not very good. So I'm doing that. Um, yeah, I'm building a pool. Um, I was just doing it 10 minutes before I came running up here to talk to you. Um, it's like maybe two days away from finish, which would be, uh, which would be really good. Um, what else am I doing? Um, and when the pool's finished, I'll be working on my bike. So actually I've got parts of it like here um like this is the this is the part for the floating chain ring i just 3d printed this part um and this is the section where i'd be uh the, so the front chain ring is going to float with the back so when you change gears the the back the front chain ring will follow the back so you always have a dead straight chain line um so yeah i just 3d printed this part and these are the linear bearings that'll slide i have the drowler part sitting here because i'll be making the show little bits of it <laughs> this is awesome I'm just, using, I'm just using um red um plastic this part here i 3d print since the jowler parts this is going to sit what i'm going to do with the bike is most drowlers are designed um so, so, so you have um you have your cassette and the drowler is attached here and goes underneath mm-hmm. right so it goes sort of like this what i'm doing is i'm putting the drowler in front of the cassette okay. so there'll be nothing hanging out here and the um the drowler would just hang straight down it's actually downstairs so the drowler would just hang straight down and it just slides left to right to match the the cogs at the back um so i'll just have a stepper motor in there um and this is just the prototype of that <clears throat> um so yeah so i'm working on this part of the the of the, the rear drowler, the front one would be sliding, um, floating. So it goes with the back just to make it more um, straight train line. Because, you know, if you look at guys like Tony Martin's bike, everyone looks at his titty bike. Oh, he's got a 58 tooth chain ring. How can he push that? But he never pushes 5811. He pushes like a 5815, just mm. so the chain is dead straight. Because if you're pushing the 11s like here, so yeah. these these guys like Rowan Dennis, Victor Kampenarts and all that, they pick the chain ring sizes based on what's in the center of the cassette. That's, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so don't don't think they're pushing 50, like Tony cannot push 5811. But, you know, he, he just, no one wants this, you know, this aggressive That's, chain line. Oh, my God. Okay. 
That's so interesting. So, my, so what I like to do is have a really close block. So on this, this what I'm testing on, there's only one tooth difference um, on all of the. So the block is really close. So then I have, um, then I have every single gear I want, and there's no big jumps. And because the chaining will float with it. That means that I don't have chain cross and I can have any gear that I want. Um, because a lot of TT guys and world tour, yeah, they really select the big chain ring based on what they have at the back. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on this at the moment, but this I'm just not doing so much. Pool first, the bike was number one priority, but then with all the closes of the pools, I haven't swam. I have not swam since um, November. Oh, wow. And I have. I have a race second uh, of May, so I got to get this. I mean, like I got to get the pool, get the floaties <laughs> so off. Let's start doing some. <laughs> yeah. So I can um, get just get to swimming. I'm going to use the the Ridley I got now for the for until my bike's built. And once the pool's done, I can swim. Then I will work on my bike. Um, and at the moment, I'm just focusing on those things. Um, yeah. I don't want to overstay my welcome. Can I ask you two last questions? For sure gravel any interest in that you're going to be getting into that at all or is that like wait like no i'm swimming i'm running i'm doing triathlon for now actually um what i'd like to do is i'm going to do um the crocodile trophy which is the mountain bike in australia okay mountain bike stage race in australia um and i'd like to do other um adventure stage races like this because my this is this is my belief um i think <laughs> This is going to sound strange because I've never really done a triathlon. I, love <laughs> I, I have this feeling that triathletes are not really training as best as they could. That's just, that's just, this feeling I have is running is so taxing on the body. It's so taxing on the body. And I, I feel, and, and I know I have to run more, I do, but I feel triathletes run too much and they do too much junk miles in running to get endurance where you can get that free on a bike without muscle damage. So you can really build cardiovascular endurance, fat metabolism training. You can tap into energy systems or on the bike without damaging muscles. So you can do higher volume and better quality training on the bike for the body cardiovascular than the run. So what I like to do is focus a lot of my training on the bike and doing a lot of road races also because cyclists are just so fit just because we can, you know, we can do 21 days of racing because it's not really damaging on the body. We can't run a marathon 21 days in a row. You would be smashed after half a marathon. So what I like to do is a lot of gravel races, um, mountain bike races, road races um, to really help with my endurance. And then, um, with the Liamo, there's a running section where where you know everything's on running form. So I'm actually more working on my form, my muscle strength on the run, um, to run in a more economical way. Um, just to give you a really boring um, two seconds on what runners do wrong is you probably heard of um, midfoot at midfoot runners and heel strike. Yeah, so I like strike, running, but I always get injured, so I I don't do it anymore. This is why, and it makes total sense. And I don't know why people didn't think of it before. When you do heel strike, you put your foot in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. And you're slowing your body down. You're actually braking. Right. So you put your foot inside, and you're actually absorbing all that energy, and then you push off. Where with, with at Lima, we measured how the Kenyan runners run. They run midfoot or toe, and they put their foot underneath them and propel forwards. So there's no braking motion. There's no put your foot in front, absorb the impact, go over and push off. It's just 
behind, 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 behind. And because of that, none of the limbs are under stress. Where most runners are not a good form, they put the leg in. So they're, they're going forwards with all their body weight. And a lot of them are overweight. Well, when I say overweight, not like Kenyan runners. So they carry a bit more mass. They put their foot in front of them on the heel and they're absorbing everything, all the energy, slowing themselves down and then pushing off. You know, there's this this repetition of absorbing the energy, breaking and pushing off. So I do a lot with with the limo in the sense of just becoming efficient. I just want to be as efficient as possible where it's all mid-foot strike running. Um, so I do a lot with um, on the running side to be more efficient instead of just going out and smashing miles, miles, miles. Um, and, yeah, so going back to your, your question the long way, um, yeah, I want to do these type of events. I want to enjoy life now, pick my races. This is what I'm really enjoying after a time where I can just pick any race that I want to do and I can do it. And gravel races, like I love mountain bike races, and Crocodile Trophy was more like a gravel race on mountain bike. It was more... Um, gravel terrain, not so difficult, not so technique, and it was more longer stage races. So I'll be getting, um, like, I'll do any race that's that's available at the moment. Yeah, I mean, do you ever go back to Australia? What's that big one in New Zealand, which is not far from you guys down there? Is uh, tar and something? I think it's a big gravel race. What about this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should go smash that. That'd be pretty sick. I guess my parting question. I have eight hundred others, but I'm gonna let you go do your thing. What's uh so? the limo it's pronounced limo is that correct limo Limo, the system what do you buy what do you have to do to get in the game of that and what's the learning curve um well there's a few ways you can do it you can just buy the system yourself um and you there's a five sensor kit which is what i recommend to get there's a two sensor kit also so you get the five sensors um so i didn't really prepare for it um so the five sensors you can put on your thigh, one on each thigh, one on your foot, uh, on the top of your cycling shoes, running shoes, one on your pelvic. And um, basically that shows almost your full motion. Um, it shows how much, um, first, the easiest thing, if you're symmetrical, if your legs are doing the same thing. That's the first thing, how much movement your hips. So you've got pelvic rotation, pelvic rock, pelvic angle if you're leaning more forwards than that. Um, it shows how smooth you are also on the bikes with leg smoothness. So this is where um, your thighs go up and down. Um, a lot of riders, um, they actually have like this, this hesitant pause um, in their pedaling stroke. So you can identify these things. Um, it shows your dead spot score. So this is the dead spot score is not actually what people think as you stop pedaling. A dead spot is more when there's a sensor here. So you have your gyro um, X axis and what it measures is the change so as you go through you know because if your foot's not stable then you're you're activating legs in your calf to try and maintain that foot stable so we actually detect the changes in your pedal stroke um there and the idea is just to have a more fluid uh, motion so the more power goes directly to the pedal um it's definitely people I think people are, how do I say this? People are afraid of, um, people are scared of information they don't understand. And it just takes a little patience. Um, um, but, you know, with the app, uh, it's got explanation about everything. Uh, like for me, I understand it very well. Lima also offers a service where they, you know, you can do your training and you can submit a file, they do a full, full file breakdown, they'll show you weaknesses if the training is too hard for emotion. Um, so you can learn that way. But, like I don't think it's so complicated. Yeah, no, I like I like I like trying to take on new things, new tasks, new. At the end of the day, I mean, I want to try to get better, and you can only do so many interval workouts. You can only I got to go do this fasting thing now, but I'll get my fat metabolism up, and I'll have to look for the next thing. And so I got to do this limo. So 
Dude, we'll end on that, man. This was incredible. Seriously, thank you so much for doing this. This is going to just shed so much amazing light and knowledge onto a ton of cyclists and inspire people to go out there and get after it uh, like you've been doing for a really long time. So best of luck, man. I hope I can buy you a coffee or something, cross paths in real life. Good luck with your triathlons. I won't be doing one of those, but maybe at a gravel race. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Truly appreciate it so much. Sounds good. And I'll I'll hold you to that coffee one day. Deal. I'm in. Uh, Like (laughs) I got to interview him and I get to buy him a coffee. Hell yeah. I'll talk, I'll talk to you later, Adam. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Yeah.